Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine, and welcome back to another episode of the Goldmine Podcast. The Goldmine Podcast is a proud member of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. Happy holiday season 2020, and 2020 has been a challenging year. I don't need to remind anybody of that. But at least we have the year-end holidays to make us feel better. And what's better to make Christmas feel better and even more special than Christmas music, especially the classic music many of us experience on vinyl records with our families in years past? And if we wanted to, uh, to know... How to go about compiling a great collection of classic Christmas records? Well, longtime Goldmine writer Tim Neely wrote a great article for us for the January edition of Goldmine, which is on newsstands now at select Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and record stores. Uh, Tim takes you through the steps of building a classic Christmas album collection in a cost-effective way. On the podcast, we're going to review those steps with Tim, play you some snippets from songs, and talk about some albums not covered in the article, more contemporary Christmas records. And hello, Tim. Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. It's good to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you're a longtime contributor to Goldmine, so I, I love chatting with you. You're a big record collector. Uh, you did a wonderful job on this piece about collecting Christmas records. And this is a this is a this uh, an area... The one things you have thing you have collected over the years, as far as records, has been Christmas records. So needless needless to say, you know your holiday music. Um, when did you start collecting Christmas albums? Well, um, I uh, I can't say it was the start of a collection, but way back in 1967, uh, my parents bought an album from the. Uh, from Grants, which is an old department store that went out of business, went bankrupt in 1976. Well, they started putting out um, a series of Christmas albums, uh, right. and the first one was called A Very Merry Christmas. And they bought this album, and it was the first grown-up album that they let me play. Gotcha. You know, before that, yeah, before that, it had been all kitty records, you know, um, you know, Peter Pan stuff, you know, what would that was, would, you know, Happy Time Records, a couple labels like that. Um, but that was the first grown-up record that they let me play. Uh, I later uh, ended up with that very record in my collection once I started to collect. Um, I began getting Christmas music almost as soon as I started collecting records. Uh, I, uh, I started collecting 45s. Uh, in 1973, and I started to pick up albums, not right away, but pretty soon thereafter. Mm. Uh, as far as as far as the Christmas music goes, I really started to dig deeply into it. I'd say in the 1980s, mm. and 
Uh, and, you know, and, and even then, you know, when I was starting to uh, get a Christmas album collection together, uh, many of the very kinds of compilations that I talk about in the article were easy to find and they were cheap. You know, they were a quarter, 50 cents at most, often a dollar, you know, and if there was a, yeah, and if there was a little gap in the collection, I might pay a little more to to complete a set. Um, And then, of course, I would also get the single artist albums as well, where appropriate. Uh, Right now, I can't remember off the top of my head what the first singles artist uh, single single artist christmas album i ever had was it wouldn't surprise me if it was something like um it it could have been john denver's rocky mountain christmas it could have been uh, it, it could have been um one of the andy williams albums it could have been by bing crosby or, or it could have been the christmas song by nat king cole i'm just not sure at this point in my life exactly what that first one was right but i just know yeah but i just know that after a while the collection began to mushroom and uh, uh the album the album part of the collection now numbers well over 2000 and that's just christmas music and that doesn't include albums that maybe have a christmas song on them gotcha amidst other things, uh, for example, the um, you know there's a Peter Paul and Mary album which I if I think it's called Moving, which was their album that came out in 1963, and there's a Christmas song on that album mm-hmm. called A Solon, you know that and that uh, um, that is you know that's an example. Uh, of course, later on in the 80s, the Pretenders had the album I believe it was Learning to Crawl and 2,000 Miles. Yes. Uh, classic christmas song is on that album and of course the, the pretenders never did a whole christmas album uh, so so yeah so there are gems like that that you can find hidden on albums that don't also have that don't have christmas music on them except for maybe one song yeah 2000 miles so, is one of the be- best christmas songs i think uh, the yearning it, it's for up home. There, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us about these um, compilations that corporations used to get involved with. You you mentioned Goodyear, Firestone, True Value yeah. Hardware, and then you mentioned Grants. That was probably one of your first ones. Yes, it was. Um, I'll mention Goodyear and Firestone first because you know they were, of course, were two tire companies, and they were both headquartered in Akron, Ohio, and they were fiercely competitive with one another going back to practically the invention of the tire. Right. And uh, um, and in 1961, and off the top of my head, I may have mentioned the name in the article, and off the top of my head, I can't remember it, but there was a fellow who came up with the idea of putting together a Christmas album to sell for cheap at Goodyear tire stores Mm. Uh, and and, uh, he came up with the idea and the people at Goodyear were not overly enthusiastic about it at first Mm -hmm. and then and but but he said you know if you put it together and you put it in the stores you have no idea how many copies of this thing you can sell Mm. you just people 
people who you know come in the store maybe they're getting a, a, a you know getting tires getting a battery getting you know doing whatever and they see it at the checkout and it becomes an impulse buy if it costs little enough mm-hmm. uh, i think the original ones cost a dollar or mm-hmm. 99 cents or a dollar 99 they were not expensive at all so they could easily be an impulse buy well the first year um the, this guy, the guy who came up with the idea for Goodyear somehow convinced them to press, I believe the number I quoted was 250,000 copies of it mm. <laughs> to be sold by one chain. In other words, this was not available in record stores. It wasn't available in department stores. It was only available at Goodyear. And they got to the point where I think around December 1st of 1961, which is the year the first one came out, Goodyear had to tell its advertising agencies to stop promoting the album in its ads because they had sold out of the entire 250,000 copies. Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, that was by December 1st. And, and of course, you know, once that happened, the, um, the idea, of course, spread elsewhere. Yeah. Um, what, what Goodyear did was they worked with uh, Columbia Records to put together, I you know, um, it was the the earliest ones were fairly classical or light classical in nature. They had a lot of Andre Castellanets and uh, Percy Faith and and people like that. Um, and because I guess you know they were trying to uh, appeal to eh, maybe a little more upscale audience at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now the next year, of course, you know. Firestone, seeing what Goodyear had done, they took it one step further. They actually decided to start their own series of Christmas albums. And what was different about Firestone is they actually hired an uh, an advertising jingle agency to put them together, and they recorded all new material for Mm. the Firestone albums. And not only that, but they arranged it in such a way that it was almost like a mini cantata. In other words, you would play the whole album and it was like a unified whole. Um, mm. And the back covers had the lyrics on them and you know, so you could sing along or follow along, whatever the case may be. Um, they hired stars from Broadway, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and really, um, and, and they may even have sold them more cheaply than Goodyear did. Uh, but the the Firestone series continued until 1968. The Goodyear series continued um, well into the 1970s. Wow! And um, yeah, uh, and, and you know, so they were a big, uh, they were definitely a big thing. Was was there a, a certain song that you remember that stands out from these two um, competitors? Uh well. The ones that were, ones that were interesting, a good year eventually started to get artists from Columbia to record songs that were exclusive to their albums. Right. Um, yeah, and and in some cases, for for decades, they were the only place you could find these albums. When when, when the artists put out their own Christmas albums, these songs were not on their that's, Christmas albums. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, one one that comes to mind immediately that I actually didn't rediscover until many years later was there's 
a group called the New Christy Minstrels, who it seemed like just about everybody who became famous later on was a member of the New Christy <laughs> Minstrels at some point. Uh, Barry McGuire of Eve of Destruction fame, yeah. uh, Kenny Rogers. Uh, was a member of the New Christie Minstrels. Uh, one of the members of the Birds, I think it was Gene Clark, was right. in the New Christie Minstrels. Uh, later on in their history, Kim Carnes, uh, Betty Davis Eyes, was a member <laughs> of the New Christie Minstrels. So, yeah, like I said, it seems like just about <laughs> there was a whole series of performers who became famous as solo artists who were who started out or at least got a good boost being in the New Christie Minstrels. Uh, they were basically a folk group, and they did a medley of songs for one of the Goodyear albums, and, um, gosh, the three songs in it, I think one of them was He Is Born, one of them is Joseph Dearest, Joseph Mine, and there's a third song in the medley which really stuck out to me as one of the highlights of the Goodyear albums. Um, as for the Firestone albums, one year... Uh, they actually, and it was 1966, I believe, they managed to get a coup, and they managed to get Julie Andrews, who at the time was the star of The Sound of Music, right. the movie version. Uh, you know, she was, you know, one of the most popular actresses in America, and they got her, and of course she could sing. She, she started out doing musicals on Broadway, yeah. and they got her to do an entire album exclusively for Firestone. Uh, and uh, a year after Firestone did the album, they re-released it in a slightly different running order on the RCA Victor label, which was her label in the U.S., and it didn't sell very well because so many people had bought the Julie Andrews version from Firestone the year before, and they realized <laughs> it was basically the same album at four times the price. Right, right. <laughs> then, um, well, you know, that Julie Andrews album has a lot of highlights on it. The, the one that sticks out to me is a song called The Sunny Bank, which actually is a, a different title version of a song better known as I Saw Three Ships. You know, mm. I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In on Christmas Day in the Morning, that song. Um, that one sticks out as one of the highlights of her album. As I sat on a sunny bank on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, as I sat on a sunny bank on Christmas Day in the morning, I saw three ships go sailing by, go sailing by, go sailing by, I saw three ships go sailing by on Christmas Day in the morning. She has a beautiful, and, and she, she had a, a wonderful yeah, voice. Yes, she does. Um, and, um, you know, I know eventually, I think you know, eventually she did an entire Christmas album independently of the Firestone album, I want to say in the 1970s. Um, but that one from the 60s still stands out as as being a real highlight. I'm sure artists jumped from like Firestone to Goodyear to True Value Hardware to Grants. Uh, right. There must have been. Some. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't so much the artists, but it was the record labels involved. And yes, the, the artists, yes. Yeah, the artists didn't have a whole lot of say. Same, except for right. the, again, the, the you know the Firestone ones were recorded exclusively for Firestone, and so of course the artists had some say in that. Um, but for example, the True Value series, which started in 1966 uh, and actually lasted. W 
well into the 21st century uh, um, um, on CDs. Um, they, even in their first 10 years, they, they first came out through Columbia Special Products, then they went to RCA Special Products, and then they went to Capitals um, uh, Special Markets Division. So in that relatively short period of time, they, they were affiliated with three different labels. And, of course, because of that, you have three different complete, you know, three different sets of artists who are part of that because there, in those days there wasn't a whole lot of cross-licensing going on. In other words, if it was put out by, you know, if it, if it said Columbia Special Products on it, all the artists were on from Columbia, maybe with an occasional epic on there, which, of course, is one of the Columbia labels. Uh, same with RCA. They were all RCA artists, and with Capital, they were all Capital artists. Mm. So by, you know, so by changing from one uh, one special markets division to another, you would get quite the variety of artists uh, over a relatively short period of time. You know, Capital, of course, would have, you'd have Nat King Cole on there, and you'd have Wayne Newton, and you'd have Peggy mm. Lee, and, uh, you know, the Holly Ridge Strings, and, and you know, the, the artists that they controlled. On RCA, you would have the Robert Shaw Corral, or you'd have uh, Ed Ames, or you'd have Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops, uh, you know, artists that they controlled. Now, one artist who, yeah, so, yeah, so one, uh, one artist that was not on these until much later was Elvis Presley. There was a very, yes. uh, you know, they, he didn't start to appear on these Christmas compilations until the 1980s. You know, of course, after he had passed and right. after the uh, after the restrictions on licensing his stuff for special markets albums became a little bit easier to handle. Uh, you know, and of course, Columbia had, you know, I mentioned some people already, Andre Castellanos and Percy Faith. They had Tony Bennett. They had Barbara Streisand. They had the new Christy Minstrels. They had Jerry Vale. They had Doris Day. They had Patty Page. You know, because there was such a wide variety of artists, you know, again, and again, true value, what they did, of course, was they would bounce from one uh, one affiliation to another, and so they would get quite the variety of different artists over a relatively short period of time. Well, that was one of my family's uh, favorites, and I re- remember it fondly, and it was called Happy Holidays, right? And yes. they they sold it at True Value Hardware. But there, yeah. there were some songs on there, as you point out. Um, speaking of Elvis Presley, you said a volume 24 in 1989 um, is scarce on vinyl. I guess it was only mm-hmm. a f- few were pressed, mostly CDs. Yeah. And yeah, well, yeah, well, actually, actually, volume 24 is mostly cassettes. Oh, ah, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. True, you know, true, yeah, because true value... Um, mostly is, you know, you don't find a whole lot of true value hardwares in big cities. They're mostly in small towns, in suburbs, that yes. kind of thing. And so they, they catered to a different audience than, uh, places that were in, in big cities. And so, yes, the, um, in, throughout most of the eighties at true value, the cassette was the biggest selling format. Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, volume twenty four is, is fairly rare on vinyl, and I'm I've been told it exists on CD, but I I've never seen one. 
Let's put it that way. Um, volume 25 from 1990 is the first one I know for sure is on a, is on CD. But uh, uh, but yeah, the, many of these were kind of slow to adapt to to changing formats because their audiences didn't necessarily adapt as quickly as the rest of the industry did. Well, you said that there's an Elvis Presley cut on 1990s Volume 24. It's a a two record set, and there's yeah. Do you remember the cut? You said this is a rear one. Um, yeah, it, it, it's volume 25, actually. Oh, and volume it, 25, sorry. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, the, the track itself isn't rare, but the album is quite rare. Mm. Uh, you know, the only copy I've ever seen, um, I actually, it's you know, I don't know, I remember how many years ago this was now. It's got to be at least 20 years ago that I did an article for Goldmine specifically on the True Value Hardware uh, Christmas series of records, tapes, and CDs. And that article had a discography in it. And one, uh, one person I talked to for the article was actually the person who was in charge of putting those albums together. Hmm. And uh, he and he actually told me some of the you know, many of which I used in the article some of the inside stories behind some of the song selection and you know the whole process of deciding well should we make more CDs than cassettes should you know should we phase out records um, he actually sent me a copy of the volume twenty five on vinyl and to this day it's still the only copy I've ever seen is the hmm. copy that he sent me. Um, so, and again, it it's one that I don't know, I haven't looked at other people's price guides in a long time, so I don't know if it's ever been uh, noted elsewhere, but I know for a long time, even the Elvis Presley collectors, the obsessive ones who collect everything, even if it's a even if, even if a compilation has a song that you can find more easily elsewhere, right. the ones who collect everything, you know, the ones who collect everything, did not have Happy Holidays Volume Twenty Five on their <laughs> list of vinyl records. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you definitely so, have something um, special there. Do you know how much it's worth? Uh, I I have no idea. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Christmas records in general, as you know, one of the cool things about collecting them is that most of them, you know, most at least the kind I talked about in the article are not worth very much. Um, right. You know, they're at, at most, you know, I mean, you can find most of them for even today for under $5. A yeah. Piece, it's not about, million, even, it's not about investing. It's more about a collection, enjoying your collection. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 if you, you know, if you decided to, you know, decide to get back into vinyl again, decide, you know, got a, a decent turntable and want to play something in the background while you're wrapping presents or right. turning the tree uh, or whatever, just to get in the mood for the season, uh, you know, having some of these albums. And what's nice about them is a lot of them, of course, only got played a few weeks a year. So right. a lot of them are still, good, a lot of them are still in pretty good shape. Yeah. yeah. yeah even after all these years, <laughs> I like, I like a mention here about uh, the happy holiday series. As you said that sure. there's a Nat King Cole song, God rest you merry gentlemen, which uh, mm -hmm. was deleted from his Christmas album. Um, yes. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. 
Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy Oh, tidings of comfort and joy Yeah, what happened with, I'll I'll tie both of them in here, and then of course, Happy Holidays, you know, again, they, especially as they got closer to the present, you know, the relative present day, they became more adventurous in the songs that they licensed, but um, but what's interesting about that song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, is the original Nat King Cole Christmas album that nobody seems to remember, it was only available for, I think, three years in its original format. It was called The Magic of Christmas. It had a completely different cover on it, but it had it had most of the same songs as on the familiar album The Christmas Song, yeah. except it didn't it did not have the Christmas song on it. Uh, yeah. You know, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which is probably the song most closely associated with Nat King Cole. Right. Uh, it was not it was not on that album. He had re- already done he had actually by the time that album came out, he'd recorded it twice already for singles. And uh in so he recorded the album in 1960 and then in 1961 uh he put out a three record set through Capitol that was called The Nat King Cole Story and you know, basically covered his entire career from the from the War to World War II period, right up to what he was doing in 1961. And for that album, he re-recorded many of his older songs. And one of the songs he re-recorded was the Christmas song. Mm. And it was it was the first time that he recorded it in stereo, because the last time he had done it uh, was in 1953, and it was recorded to mono, in other words, in monaural sound. And... Um, by 1963, I think people were wondering why the Christmas song wasn't on his Christmas album, and so Capitol reconfigured the album to add the Christmas song to it. But then they realized it would, in the, and they, but they realized that it would be, it was already a 14-song album, and they realized it would be too long with 15 songs on it, and so to put the Christmas song on it, they removed a God Rest Ye Merry Gentleman, I think is the song we're talking right, about. Right, it is. And, and so, so for a long time, that was kind of one of the lost Nat King Cole songs. Right, right. And what's interesting, again, of course, is that you know, True Value Hardware licensed it for one of their Happy Holidays albums, I believe, in the 1980s, which was pretty remarkable that someone remembered that and uh, put this... Very Long smart, lost Nat King Cole. Right. Yeah, very smart. Absolutely. Um, you know, the song has, of course, reappeared, and there have been many different variations of Nat King Cole Christmas CDs and and streaming playlists over the years. Uh, so that song's not nearly as lost as it once was, but certainly in the 1980s, it was kind of a forgotten Nat King Cole song because it was no longer on the version of the Christmas song album right. that you could buy in the stores. Right. Now, now the next uh, thing is grants. Now, you were, you remarked that True Valley Hardware was mostly in, uh, say, suburban or more rural areas. Now, grants, mm-hmm. I remember being in my suburban town in a shopping center. Yes. 
uh, Five and Dime. Yeah. They were kind of like, I guess you yeah. would call it Woolworths or Kmart, right? Um, yeah, they were very much like, uh, in fact, I remember a, a, t- a town not too far from where I grew up, uh, literally, they were almost literally, Grants and Woolworths were almost literally next door to each other <laughs> in the downtown area. Right. <laughs> they were they were a couple stores apart, but they were right there, and then there was another shopping center, as they called them back then, uh, where... Uh, Grants was in one part of the shopping center, and Woolworths was just down the uh, just down a short walk from the Grants. There were right. again about four or five stores between them, uh, so yeah, they they tended to spring up in the same locations, and uh, you know obviously um, Woolworths lasted a bit longer than Grants did. You know, they were better managed, and then and of course Woolworths uh, decided to go into the larger discount store kind of idea kind of like to compete with Kmart they came up with Woolco which you may remember mm-hmm. and um but yeah Grants was uh yeah I I I definitely remember going to Grants and um when oh, I was yeah. a kid and in fact I used to well, that's where my parents used to take us to visit with Santa Claus was to Grants right. <laughs> and the great thing here about their albums they were a little late to the game because the first volume right. was 67 but Right. You mentioned that for almost 15 years, the only way to get Simon and Garfunkel's version of the Star Carol was on a Grants compilation. That's correct, uh, which for a few years made it um, a little bit more uh, collectible than most of the other most of the other chain store um, Christmas albums. Uh, I, I I think, you know, it's, it's one of those instead of people paying five bucks at most for it, people might pay 10 or 15 dollars for it because of that that one Simon and Garfunkel song. Dear baby Jesus, how tiny thou art, I'll make a place for thee in my heart. And when the stars in the heavens I see You know, I, I, and I believe the year was 1981 that it was used again on another uh, special products compilation, oh, wow. although this one was not it wasn't uh, affiliated with a particular department store. It was called Dreaming of a White Christmas. And that one was in print for so long that it actually showed up on CD in the early 90s. Uh, that exactly yeah. that same uh, that same compilation with the Simon and Garfunkel song on it. Yeah. And, you know, people probably plopped down about, you know, five bucks for the CD at the, you know, at the discount store and had no idea they were getting a rare song. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the Star Carol didn't show up on a Simon and Garfunkel collection until the Old Friends box set came out. Uh, was it 97, 98, something in that era, um, where uh, it, it, it turns out they actually had recorded two Christmas songs, hmm. and the other, one, the other one had been left in the can since 1967, and the first time that one showed up was on the Old Friends box set. It was a version 
of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, oddly enough, that they titled Comfort and Joy in their arrangement. Yeah, but the Star Carol is an interesting uh, song, and I know even, I remember you know even some Simon and Garfunkel diehards had either forgotten about or didn't know it existed, and <laughs> um, but there it was on an easily obtainable uh, album that had been sold at Grants in 1967, <laughs> which was that was the year it was recorded. By the way, yeah. it was. Uh, well, it's interesting that as the '60s went to the '70s, it became kind of like overkill with these. These corporate compilations, I mean, you got Zenith, Philco, JCPenney, Acme. Um, Acme was a, a grocery chain. And then you had yes, you know, Avon, was. Ace Hardware. It just got, to me at least, I don't know how you felt about it, but it kind of got out of control. But in, yeah. all, in all this, right, one of the greatest compilations was not a, a corporate one. It was a Christmas gift for you. Phil Spector's Christmas mm-hmm. album, and that's been reissued, yep. right? Just this year, I believe. Yes. And yes, uh, the um, mm-hmm. and that is a yeah, great it, one. You even absolutely. emphasize that as probably one of the best. Yeah, I I really have grown to enjoy that one over the years. I know uh, the first. I think the first song I ever heard off of it was the Ronettes version of Sleigh Ride, which, my goodness, still sounds great to this day. album to find uh and because it kept going in and out of print every yes. several years <laughs> and and i i finally found a copy in in the i want to say the late 1980s and it was one of the reissues uh i believe the copy i first came up with was the reissue i mentioned that came out on the passport label uh which was one of one of the stereo versions mm. and um you know of course as is true with virtually everything that Phil Spector ever produced, it's better to be listen to it in mono. But <laughs> so, but um, but at least it was a copy of the album, and like, and it's like I finally have this album. Because <laughs> again, it would pop, it would pop in and out of print so often, and of course, it you know. Even the reissues were not cheap. <laughs> right. You wouldn't um, find these in bargain bins, in used bins and records. No. Stores. N- not very, unless 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 it was really right. beat to, yeah. you know, where. Uh, <laughs> right. you'd, you'd never find it in a bargain bin. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, it, it, it came out on a couple of collectible labels to begin with. You know, the original issue, of course, was on Phil Spector's own uh, Phyllis Records label. Right. 1963 and then the first reissue of it 
was on Apple Records, which Apple Records, of course, being the Beatles label, is collectible in its own right. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and then it came out again on the, um, in the mid 70s, uh, Phil Spector made a deal with Warner Brothers and he started up a label called Warner slash Spector Records and uh, it came out, the album, the Christmas album came out on that label. And then it came out on a short-lived uh, CBS affiliate called Pavilion Records. Mm. And then it came out on Passport. And then, and then it finally came out. Uh, a, a legitimately good reissue came out on Rhino in 1987. Mm. And then, um, and then finally, uh, it ended up on uh, affiliated with Abco Records, Alan Klein's label in 1989. Yeah, a box set, which is where it was. Yeah, that came out as part of a box set then, as as in, in 1991, the uh, box set Back to Mono yeah, uh, came out. Set, of course, yeah. it, you know, a vinyl box set, and it was actually a, a, one entire record was dedicated to a Christmas gift for you in that box set. And that's out and, of print, right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I've never seen yeah, that uh, around. Um, yeah, that that vinyl that vinyl version of that was hard to find. You know, even in 1991, right. I mean, that was by by then vinyl was starting to, you know, it was already starting to disappear right. by 1990. But by 91, it got to the point where I, you know, I got to the point where I think I pretty much had to special order anything I wanted on vinyl. <laughs> you know, and of course, of course, I had to find out that it really existed on vinyl. And then <laughs> uh, once I, <laughs> which or, which wasn't always easy in those days. Or and, you used goldmine. <laughs> To mail order. Well, well, that was a goldmine was a great source for finding exactly. out what was on vinyl. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, you know, there were you know there were some advertisers who specialized in right nothing but new vinyl, whether it was whether it was domestic or import or albums or seven inches or picture discs or twelve inches or whatever. And yeah, um, you know, that was. And before I was, before I uh, wrote for Goldmine, I was a subscriber. And yeah. so I, um, you know, so yeah, I, Goldmine ended up being a really good source for a lot of things in those days. I think that when I was able to find in a store, because by then there were several places that would special order things for me, even if they didn't necessarily have vinyl in their stocks on a daily basis. Mm. You know, if I, if I mentioned that, number one, if I mentioned that it was out there, number two, if I guaranteed that I would buy it if they got it in, uh, they would order things for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and what's cool and then, is that uh, 2014, you had the, a red vinyl edition, which I love for yes. Christmas, uh, Record Store Day. Um, yes, but, yeah. Yeah, um, Sundays uh, had got, you know, after a while... Um, I think, you know, coincidentally, it was about the time that Phil Spector was having his legal problems uh, with the, um, you know, with the with the murder or whatever that was. And uh, the rights to his music passed from um, Abco Records to um, uh, who did I say? It was like EMI Music Publishing or something. Yes. And it ended up on a Sony and it ended up on Sony Music in the U.S. Sony, and Legacy, Sony Music. Right? Yeah. Did, did probably the you know the best sounding CD version of the album mm. that's still available to this day, mm. and then they also 
at the time Sony Music wasn't doing a lot of vinyl, and they licensed the vinyl rights to Sunday's records in New York, mm. and uh, and and that version of the vinyl is again probably the best sounding version of the vinyl version that mm. is out there. Um, and that is the one, you know, it was available on standard black vinyl for many years. And of course, then, as I meant, as you mentioned, the, uh, it was put pressed on a special red vinyl edition for, um, the Black Friday record store day in 2014. And then finally this year, 2020, uh, Sony Music got the rights back for the vinyl and they did their own, they have done their own vinyl version right. of the album. So, so, you know, just collecting, the um the different versions of phil Spector's christmas album christmas gift for you you can get a mini collection just doing that <laughs> yeah you could start there if you wanted to and that would be a yeah, good place to yeah, start but, right so yeah it would be you you hear you hear more than at least half of the songs on that album are still in regular rotation on christmas radio to this day i mean i mentioned of course Sleigh Ride by the Ronettes, and of course, uh, the all-time classic, The Christmas Baby, Please Come Home by Darlene Love. Mm. And you also hear the version of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus from that album, and Frosty the Snowman, and uh, sometimes you hear the version of White Christmas from that album. Uh, Yeah, like I said, more than half of that album, it seems like, is still in regular rotation on christmas radio today um, yeah yeah you know, so yeah so uh, and, it, it, and it's a wonderful album um that like i said that'd be a great place for people starting a christmas collection and another absolutely one great thing in this article is you point out single artist albums now there's hundreds if not thousands of artists that have recorded christmas albums yes. but you picked out some good ones uh, that I really liked, like Bar- Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And one that was popular around my house when I was a kid was Andy Williams. So Barbara, mm-hmm. um, as far as Barbara, you said the easiest one artist Christmas album to find cheap is a Christmas album by Barbara Streisand. That's that's about right. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> Because that that album was in print, well, was released in 1967, and it was in print for decades. Uh, and uh, and it, it just seems like every time I wander into it, it's been a while since I've done this, but every time I wander into a, a thrift shop, it seems like there's at least one copy yes. of a Christmas album. <laughs> you know, whether it's you know it's rarely an original pressing anymore, but it's it's usually a pressing from the '70s or maybe it's one from the '80s. That you know, the ones from the '80s all have barcodes on the back cover. You know, they, Columbia, of course, changed its record label in 1970, and so you you know that that's an easy way to tell a '70s pressing. Um, it yeah, it, it's an album that. Yeah. Now, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a bad album. It, it was oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. It, it's it's a very nice album to listen to. It's it's got its critics. I mean, there's that one. I think I mentioned in the article. She you know she did a version of Jingle Bells that uh, even today tends to polarize people because <laughs> it's such a radical rearrangement of the song that. Um, some people, some people love it, and some people hate it. I mean, there are very few 
uh, Christmas songs that seem to have that very that strong polar opposite feeling about them. That 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 you know, I think both of us know exactly what we're what we're thinking of when we uh, you know think of Barbra Streisand's version of Jingle Bells um, and. But that's what makes it so unique, you know, the the sound. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring. Making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to sing a slaying song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, and that's what makes people, I mean, let's face it, they remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, whether they want to or not, they remember it, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> but it, like I, I said about my family in the 60s, um, you know, I think he released this in 63, right? The Christmas, uh, the Andy Williams Christmas album. Um, yes. In the 60s, it was one of the most popular Christmas albums. Certainly in my home, uh, my mother would mm-hmm. play it every year in the late 60s. Uh, his version yeah. of the Christmas song, I think that was yeah. also released as a single, right? Yes, it was. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows Turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that sad is on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly In fact, in 1963, that was the year that Billboard began to have a separate chart for Christmas music and uh, it was up to the record labels whether they wanted their whether they wanted their Christmas albums on this separate chart or whether they wanted them on the main chart and the vast majority chose to put them on the Christmas chart Um, and that Andy Williams album uh, was the biggest new Christmas album of 1963 and the single of the Christmas song was the biggest selling Christmas single of 1963 of new music uh, even though because their label his label Columbia chose not to have it chart on the hot hundred we don't really know in retrospect just how big it was mm. but it you know like it was the number one song on 
I think through the entire Christmas season of 1963. Now, uh, interestingly, there were so many great, you know, great songs that were released in 1963. Uh, Pretty Paper by Roy Orbison came out in 1963. Um, Little Saint Nick by the Beach Boys came out in 1963. Um, of course, that's the year that Phil Spector's Christmas album right. came out, was 1963. So, um, and, and that's just the ones off the top of my head that, you know, that live on to this day. Um, but at the time, the Andy Williams album uh, was the the biggest selling Christmas album of its of the year that it came out. It was a you know bigger selling than you know than any of the others. And what's interesting, even though of course the Christmas song was the single, the um, the songs that today are best known from that album were two songs that were not singles at the time. Uh, of course, one of them was "It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year." Oh yeah, and the other. Yeah, and the other one is the 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 medley of Happy Holiday with the holiday season, uh, which, uh, and you know, in fact, both of those songs. I in fact, I just just yesterday I was looking at the current Hot Hundred in Billboard, and both of those are in the top fifty on the Hot Hundred right now. <laughs> Yet the Christmas song wasn't, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, if, if several years ago, Billboard changed its chart rules that allow it allowed christmas songs to return to the hot hundred <laughs> if they if, if they if they got enough airplay and right. sales and streams and whatnot and in fact um you know of course mariah carey's uh, all i want for christmas is you is now the number one song Interesting. Um, and uh, and in fact this week the new chart there are five christmas songs in the top 10 mm. and i and i i think there is at least there's almost there's got to be close to twenty in the top fifty. It's it's, it's <laughs> and it's yeah, it's, it's just still amazing. a big business. It's still a big business. Yeah. Uh, I can't. Uh, I think of so many artists that have done Christmas stuff. Um, now, yeah. so that gives a good segue into contemporary artists, which you didn't cover. We could do that uh, next year, but uh, contemporary artists like Mariah Carey and rock and roll Christmas yeah. records. You had. Not only do you have Mariah Carey, but you got Bruce Springsteen, U2, you mentioned The Pretenders. All have great Christmas mm-hmm. songs. Um, there's been great Christmas rock and roll compilations. The most popular yeah. is probably Do They Know It's Christmas, though, right? From Band-Aid in 1984.
you think that's probably yeah. the best one? Popular one? That one, well, well certainly, certainly in the UK, because uh, that song, when it came out in 1984, actually broke sales records in Britain that had been held since Beatlemania. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, yeah, and, um, and it, continued to sell year after year uh, what's weird in america is that it was only the the single was only in print for one year in is that the true US. wow i didn't know that yeah and the, and the reason was because of a, it was a snafu basically what happened was of course the term band-aid is a, a trademark for you know what you put on your, your <laughs> yes. little ouchies on your body, and and and, and you know, it's, I, the trademark, of course, is owned by Johnson and Johnson, and uh, oh. um, so so the that sucks. Um, so when it was real, yeah, well, but see, here's the thing, though. Um, you know, they got a, you know the Band Aid Trust in England got a one year license to use the name. The thing was, they they never bothered to renew the license and. Mm. You know, someone interviewed people with Johnson and Johnson years later and said, "Oh, we would have been happy to let them continue using the name. They just never let. They just never asked us. <laughs> so you, know, you can't really, you know, you can't really blame. You know, this is not, uh, you know, you can't really blame corporate America for that one. You, right. just, you know, you blame, uh, you know, you know, you know. By this time, of course, Bob Geldof was, you know, was still, you know, you know, still involved in, you know, counting the proceeds, and of course, Live Aid had happened right. and all that other stuff, and and so it was more of an omission than anything else. Um, and, it, and so it took a long time. You know, the the Band Aid song is, you know, the is on numerous compilations in England, mm. but it's on only a handful here in the U.S. and that's right. Primarily, you know, primarily why I think the. Um, I remember at one time that the only two CDs that were released in the U.S. in which you could find uh, "Do They Know It's Christmas," one of them was the very first American version of "Now That's What I Call Christmas," um, and the other one was a greatest hits album by Midgeur. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's and it's funny because Christmas has crossed genres, like in, crossed into heavy metal. I mean, Twisted Sister has done a lot of Christmas music, uh, heavy yeah, metal Christmas. Um, yeah. So, so it it's popular and, with yeah, all walks and, of life. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and with Twisted Sister, there's two interesting stories that involve Christmas music. Um, think about this, their 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 best known song. We're not going to take it. Right. It's actually loosely based on O Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and and then the other thing involving Christmas music and Twisted Sister was uh, of course Dee Snyder, uh, who was the lead singer and wrote most of the songs. Um in the 1990s, uh his wife asked him, you know, she ba- you know basically, you know, he asked her what 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 can I give you for Christmas and she said um, write me a Christmas song, hmm. and and then so and so he did. He, he at first he had a hard time because you know by then he was wondering well what uh, what can be said about Christmas that hasn't already been said. <laughs> well, he, he you know he finally came up with a song, and he and some friends of his they they went to a professional recording studio and recorded it, 
And there was a producer by the name of Rick Wake. Um, to be careful that not Rick Wakeman, but Rick Wake, yeah. who helped him, who helped him produce the song. And he made made a copy of it, and of course, and gave it to his wife for Christmas, and she loved it. Well, what Dee Snyder didn't know was that Rick Wake had kept a copy of the song for himself. <laughs> well, a, a several a several years later, Rick Wake was working on a Christmas album, and submitted. Dee Snyder's song for this Christmas album uh, without telling the artist who Dee Snyder was and what his what he was famous for. Mm. Uh, and the artist loved the song and recorded it on for the Christmas album. And this became one of the biggest selling Christmas albums in the history of the genre. And I'm talking about Celine Dion. And the album is called These Are Special Times. And the song is called The Magic of Christmas Day. All the lights and decorations put up in anticipation of the joyful celebration that's on its way. We're counting the days till it's time for Christmas That album, I, I think, worldwide has sold more than 10 million CDs That's and um, came out in 1998. And, and um, you know, and of course, and Dee Snyder had no idea that this song had even been submitted for this album until until he was told that it was going to be on the album. And years later, he did an interview about uh, the song and he, and he was in a nice uh, home wherever he's living now. And he called this place where he was living the house that Celine Dion built. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, look at Trans Siberian Orchestra too. They, they've got all these yeah. heavy metal veterans, uh, the singer from yeah. Sabotage, and they do very well. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I think most of their money comes from uh, live performances, right? But they always put out something on, on CD usually. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah. Yeah, they well, Trans Siberian Orchestra actually, and I don't know if they're still doing this. Of course, um, Paul O'Neill, who founded it, passed away yes. um, a couple uh, was it a couple years ago now, right? Um, and but 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 TSO is still going, and um, the um, um, what they actually do now is they have to meet the demand for people who want to see them during the Christmas season yes. is they actually have two different touring groups called Trans-Siberian Orchestra. One usually tours one part of the country and one tours the other part of the country so that they can go to as many different places in November and December as they can. Uh, so there actually are two different uh, TSO touring groups some of them play on the album. Some of them don't. Uh, you know, some members of one group. You know, it, it, there's a, there's a lot of crossover between the two. Yes. You know, there. You know, I think both groups 
of TSO have people who've played on the albums, you know, some of the same singers, uh, etc. Uh, I mean, that's something that Mannheim Steamroller started to do yeah. um, in the 90s as well, is actually have two different touring groups with the same name that go around the country during the Christmas season. And, you know, and Trans-Siberian Orchestra has done the same thing. And but apparently that, neither one is any better or worse than the other right. one. So people get the same experience regardless which group they see. It makes perfect sense because, you know, heavy metal's intense and dramatic. And, you know, if you want oh, to yeah. put on a Christmas orchestra play, that it makes perfect sense. And I don't know. I mean, I... Their their uh, recordings are great too. I'm not sure if they're on vinyl, but I know they're on CD. And maybe they yeah. sell them at the concerts. I've never been to the a show. Maybe you have, but mm-hmm. um, that would be no. I make sense yeah. too. I've never seen them in concert. I they they came out several years ago with sort of a Christmas greatest hits collection. Yes, uh, and I can't can't yeah. I think they called it the Ghosts of Christmas Past or something like right. that. And um, and that is, I know that's on vinyl. Yes. Um, okay. I yeah yeah I don't know whether any of the individual albums are because they were quite lengthy. Um, they, yes. they tended to push the limits of the uh, you know the seventy seventy nine minutes that you can put on. Yeah, it became like a cross crossing over to Prague a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Most of the songs were never quite that long and not quite that complicated. It's just right. that the, you know, you, but the whole prog idea of you know Length. an album telling a story. Yes. Um, which you know that um, you know, and they often did stretch into the sixty to seventy minute range, which right. of course would be uh, more songs than you could fit on one record, and. Um, and maybe not enough to fit on two. <laughs> Just as a, um, and of course, in the era when those CDs first came out, there wasn't a whole lot of vinyl being done. In fact, there was very, very little Christmas vinyl being done, uh, say from about 1992 to about, oh, 2004 or so. Those are just random years, but in those years, hardly anything Christmas came out on vinyl. Right. Uh, there were, there were things that did. But there wasn't a whole lot of it. Yeah, I was saying an album that's been reissued many times in the last few years is uh, the Vince Guaraldi soundtrack yes. to Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes, and and there's there's this guy on Facebook who has I think twenty two different variations <laughs> of the album, almost all of which have come out in like the last twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> that's you great. Know, because one just came out this of, year. <laughs> so. Yeah, a new one came out. Yeah, different colors of vinyl. Yeah, you know, there'd be a ver- version that was only at Barnes and Noble, a version only at Walmart, a version only at Target, uh, a version only at um, Newbury <laughs> Comics, a version only at Amoeba. You know, all the different places. That's, a, that's and, fantastic. And there'd be picture discs, colored vinyl. Um, you know, the whole nine yards, and just and and almost all of them again have come out in like the last. You know. <laughs> Ten to twenty years, and that's a future. <laughs> hey, that's a future story, Tim, right there. Um, yeah, you could talk yeah, to the I, guy. <laughs> yeah, it may, kind of makes me glad I got off the treadmill because <laughs> <laughs> I, there would have been a time where I would have been obsessing about trying to collect every single one of them myself. <laughs> I, I hear you, man. Uh, I have someone do the same with other vinyl that's not Christmas, um, like the Tijuana yeah. Brass, you know. Um, oh yeah. 
But uh, thanks, Tim. I could talk forever uh, with you about vinyl and records. Um, But hopefully now this will inspire people to start a a Christmas collection for themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope it's vinyl records, but it could be CDs because there's a wealth of them out there. Hey, cassettes too, like you mentioned. That would be very interesting to get some classic cassettes. Um, like True Value Hardware, I think you mentioned. So, um, yes. yeah, so that hopefully some this will inspire them and it, it'll drive them to read um, your article, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, listeners could pick that up. Uh, the latest issue of Goldmine, that's a January edition. It'll have your mm-hmm. article called Collecting Christmas. Um, or mm-hmm. you could go online at goldminemag.com and, and read it. It's going to be up this week. So thank you very much, Tim. And um, Mm -hmm. I hope readers also, they could go to goldminemag.com and uh, they can subscribe to the print edition at a discounted price and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter and get a free download of Goldmine Extra. It's a PDF editorial compilation which focuses on the special column by Warren Kurtz called Fabulous Flipsides. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you were. You said you were a big forty-five collector, right? Oh, very, very much so. So you would probably like Warren's fabulous flip side series because he talks about the B sides of popular singles, and uh-huh. there's a lot of interesting music there on the B side. Um, oh, sure. Some of it that turned out to be very popular, and other stuff that was just underrated, and you know, yeah. really forgotten and- about. Yeah, and, and of course there are a fair number of Christmas songs on B. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Thanks so much, and uh, sure. I'm glad um, you're writing again for Goldmine, and readers will be seeing more of Tim's work and future issues. Uh, this is Pat yeah. Prince signing off. Editor, see you next time on the Goldmine podcast. And once again, thanks, Tim. And you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 